This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Right now, I'm sitting at my buddy Tyler Webster's house on the prairie in North Dakota. The sun is rising, and there's a big flock of snow geese setting down into a field just out the window to the east, to the west. I'm looking at a covey of Hungarian partridge feeding right now. These are Tyler's yard birds, he calls them. Uh, we have quite the adventure for you today, and... We don't know where it's going to go just yet, but that's kind of the fun of it. We hope you'll stick around to find out where Tyler's been. We'll share some of his favorite and worst stories from the fields this year. And we'll let you in on our adventure this week right here in North Dakota. All right. Good morning, big brother. Good morning. <laughs> I say big brother because you and I have uh, so many similarities that it feels like we're brothers except for I'm about half your size, roughly. Yeah, I mean, probably close to that. <laughs> a, a good foot shorter. <laughs> yeah. But we have the same big heart. And we have the same casting ability with jigs as well, we found out last night. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it took me one cast to catch my first walleye off of shore fishing in North Dakota. And I've that, always wanted to do that. That's crap, too, because I took, <laughs> it took me three. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something to shoot for, bud. That's right. So today's podcast is a little bit different because this is the Flush podcast that I'm hosting, and Tyler... It's also the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast that I'm hosting. Yeah. We're, we're going to do a shared podcast because we both need to get one done. We are both, exactly. And we're both actually kind of tired this morning. I can hear it in your voice. Uh, I can look over here and I see one, two, three, four dogs sprawled out. Bo has four legs in the air laying on his back, <laughs> passed out. <laughs> the other ones are curled up. Yeah. You know, it's funny how 18 miles of cattails will do that to you. Mm. Um, I've had a little bit of a cold for the last couple of weeks, as you can hear in my voice, but, uh, uh, I feel pretty good. I am a little tired, but you look you know. great. Thank you. Yeah, you, you too. Look you look showered and clean. I, I feel great. Um, yeah. I'm excited. We're going to head back out into the field here, but we wanted to just sit down. I feel like what we should have done was just bring this recorder and just set it up in between us as we've been driving down the roads the last couple of days. Nobody wants to hear us sing. Let's be fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. A lot of old country music played the last couple of days, and we sang loud. We did, loud and proud. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, one moment when we left the field with a limit of birds, and Shania Twain came on. I was so excited. I was pretty sure that I had it timed right to drive over by Scott Franzen, and uh, right when the chorus of, man, I feel like a woman was coming on, yeah. and we had it timed perfect. <laughs> it <was> perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see, where should we take this conversation today? There's, there are quite a few topics that we both have said, we should, we should talk about this yeah. on the podcast. And now here we sit after a big breakfast. Um, here, let's do this. So about a week ago, I got an email from a guy saying, I'm going to North Dakota to hunt for the first time. I'm going to hunt by, this is like, I want to say he's in the Minot area or he has family up there and he's going to be heading up there for 
a family get-together. I don't have my computer in front of me right now to find out his name, so I apologize for that. But um, his question was really, where where do I start? He's from east, out east, and um, he's never hunted up here. And I said, well, it's easier for me to talk about this than to type something out to you. So just stay tuned to an upcoming podcast. There's nobody better to talk to about yeah. this than you. And I, you know, I think I said this, that when we were hunting the first day, I don't know if there's anybody in America that hunts upland birds more than you do, that has more experience. Maybe I shouldn't say more experience because you're not that old yet. Some people that have been getting hunting. You're getting there. Yeah, you got a little gray up top. Oh, yeah. yeah, but at least you got something up I top. I got something up there, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you're looking at like... 150 days of hunting it's going to be over 150 this year just because of the whole alaska thing mm -hmm. um usually i run about 130 days so um from the beginning of season until now i think i've only taken off three days out of the field um it's i mean obviously you're not going out hard every day but there's a lot of miles in there as sure. well yeah um so for somebody coming to north dakota for the first time uh I personally think that the best hunting for all the upland game bird species is going to be west of Highway 83. So Highway 83 runs, oh, there goes that covey of huns flying over there across the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or that might be a different one. That Let's was a see, bigger one, covey. One, two, three, four, five. No, that's the same is one. Is that the same covey? Yep, that's okay. a six-pack. Oh, they landed in your yard. Oh, perfect. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and seriously, when I said that there's a... Uh, uh, in the introduction that the sun is rising and there's yeah. a couple thousand snow geese in the field. Yeah. They were feeding in the field right on the West side or East side of my house. The last couple of days, there's, I don't know how many birds there are there, but some thousands. It looked like, well, we did have snow here when we, when we arrived. Um, there's still some sitting over here, but it looked like snow out there for somebody that, you know, has never seen the, the fall migration. Oh, it's magic. It's magic. It yeah. is. You know, and I can't wait till my kids are old enough to bring them out here because I've taken them duck hunting, taken them goose hunting, you know, and you're seeing like a, a family group, you know, you're seeing a, a big flock. You might be seeing like 30 birds or something mm. where we hunt. We had a crappy duck hunt yesterday and the one flock that came in was like 70. Yeah. And they <laughs> came in feet down perfectly. Oh yeah. You know, just like magically, just like they do in North Dakota. That's right. There's a few places that, well, I shouldn't say there's few because when they migrate through, but right now this is a place to be. Yeah. This, is, this is exactly where you want to be. We are trending towards the back end of October. I don't know what the date is right now because I can't it's, think straight. I think, well, yeah, we're just a few days from Halloween. Mm -hmm. I think it's like the 26th or 7th or something, somewhere in there. It's, it's late in October. Um, but for somebody coming out here for the first time, uh, Highway 83 runs between Bismarck and Minot. Uh, if you focus within 30 miles to the east of that and west, you're going to be in bird country for pun, sharptails, and pheasants. Uh, as far as a waterfowl goes, you can actually get by with going a little bit farther to the east. Um, the Devil's Lake. Devil's Lake, Steel, um, Goodrich, Jamestown Corridor does get a lot of, a lot of migration activity going on through there. Um, the migration is just kind of starting to kick off because we've had an unusual, unusually warm fall. Uh, a week ago today, it was 75 degrees. I mean, even yesterday, yeah, it we felt had, like it. We had snow on Monday, mm -hmm. and the wind was blowing 40. And I mean, when we went hunting on Tuesday morning, uh, there was three, four inches of snow on the ground up there, and the fields were very wet. 
but yesterday it was almost 60. Mm-hmm. We and did travel about, well, from where we hunted yesterday was probably two hours east of where we hunted the first day. Yeah, we put on, we put on some miles. Um, I'm a little bit, uh, I don't like hunting the same pieces of cover very often. And I like to hunt different parts of the state because they all have different beauty about them. Mm-hmm. So the first day we went to the extreme northwest corner of the state uh, on a piece of land that I got access to um, over 10 years ago now uh, by me and my friend Mike and Matt, we were up there driving around basically in a blizzard looking for a place to hunt pheasants because we're that kind of stupid, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, You can't hunt 150 days a year if you take only the good ones. That's right. I mean, I do. somebody did compare me earlier this year to a ski bum from uh, that lives in like Red Lodge, uh, which is basically what I'm a hunt bum who lives, <laughs> lives here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so anyways, there's a posted sign in these tree rows with beautiful thick CRP running through them. And there's just pheasants running all over in there. And the, the sign had a phone number on it. So I called the guy, uh, and I'm telling you guys this because I really want people to start making these phone calls a little bit more often, mm-hmm. uh, talking to some of these landowners. Cause you'll get a lot of yeses. You really will. I mean, a lot of people just kind of want to know who's on their land really. Yeah. Um, and maybe they posted for their family for their first weekend or whatever, but so anyway. sometimes they just want to have a chance to meet the person sure. and, and know what the situation is going to be and just say, Hey, this is our area here that we don't want you to hunt. We've had people just walk right through it before because we didn't post it. You're free to hunt the full section. Right. Just just be um, aware that we don't want you to walk through this one piece. So some I've had that happen before where farmers sure. say, yeah, have at it. I only post it because we've had some people walk through our shelter belt right here behind the place. And, right. and I say, oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely do that. And it gives you the opportunity to say thank you. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so this particular day, it was the wind was blowing probably 25. Uh, it was below zero before windchill and way below zero after windchill and it was snowing. And so I call the number and, uh, a guy answers the phone and he says, you guys aren't serious about going out there today. Are you? I was like, well, yeah, we drove up here, you know, like we were, we want to go hunting. And he's like, well, come up to the North end of the tree rows. That's where my farm's at. Uh, he said, I want to be able to identify the bodies when they find them in the spring (laughs) is exactly what he said. He was obviously kind of joking, but uh, a little bit serious too, probably. Uh, so we went up there and chatted with him for a little while and he's like, well, anybody who's crazy enough to be out in the weather today is definitely welcome to hunt up here anytime they want. So, uh, we went out and we made a walk for three or, you know, I mean, not very far, a couple hundred yards, 400 yards or something like that. And we shot our nine pheasants, uh, all of them off rock solid points. Those pheasants were buried underneath the snow and the CRP and they didn't want to get up. And, uh, so we drove back up there to the end of the tree road to thank the guy. And I was going to take him out to lunch and I, you know, just kind of asked him, I was like, you know, it, this was December, this is late season. I said, you know, would you mind if, uh, we came back up here in a couple weeks or something like that? And he said, no, you guys are welcome up here anytime. Hmm. And we've been hunting up there now for over a decade. And it's, I mean, it's not a ton of land, but you know, there's, he's, he has a couple sections and it's manicured for pheasants. A couple sections. Yeah. Somebody out east hears that, and they're like, I hunted a 40-acre piece right, with 10 right. other guys Yeah, everything's re- everything's relative. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I go up to a place, I like to have more than a couple of acres or a couple of sections of access because yeah. I like to walk a lot. 
But uh, that one section uh, on Tuesday uh, gave us our 12 birds, um, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it did. Uh, we got one from the other side of the road that we were just trying to kick those birds back into the sections. But, um, you know, we got our 12 birds out of there. But we put on seven miles walking the same section because mm-hmm. you kind of got to zigzag across it to make sure you cover it properly. Yeah. And it's actually, I, I don't know. I don't want it to be easy. It was pretty easy, <laughs> but it was pretty easy, we still but put on miles. Yeah, we, did. Um, we looked for, we, I think we all want the same thing as we all want our dogs to be out there doing what they're supposed to be doing and finding birds, pointing them, holding them, you know, we flush them a nice shot and you know, we are filming a television show. So there are times where things are happening, you know, and like I told you, Ooh, I had a couple of birds right at my feet that got up. I yeah. could have taken that I chose not to because I wanted the cameraman to be focused on what you guys were doing. And it's just. And we knew that we were going to get them. And we, yeah, there was not like a, oh, that was our one chance. You know, right. I've had days in different parts of the country where that was our chance, you know, and right. I'm here, especially right now, especially this year. I, I feel like, and I've heard other. <sighs> I've heard other hunters that have been up here the last couple of weeks say the numbers have been underreported is how they have said it. Do you feel like there's more birds? I mean, your uncle said something yesterday. You can repeat if you want, but yeah. I feel like there's more birds here than I anticipated. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that they were underreported. I think that there was some event that happened where there was a good number of the birds that had their hatch on schedule. And then there was another good number of the birds that something happened with the first nesting and those chicks were too small to be counted uh, in August during the surveys because those birds we shot yesterday are a good example. Uh, You had a a pheasant that got up right on your right side that flew uh, towards me yesterday afternoon and you yelled hen because it was a young pheasant. Mm Um, when it came by me, you were kind of looking into the sun. When it came by me, I was not, and I could clearly see a ring and colored feathers and everything else. And I, and I, I, I said, Nope, not, not a hen. Mm-hmm. And I, and I shot it, uh, and walked over there and picked it up. I was, I a hundred percent knew that it was a rooster, but for late October, that's a pretty young bird. Mm-hmm. And all three of those birds that you and I got on that walk were very young. Agreed. So if you rewind the clock, back to when they're doing the roadside surveys here in North Dakota in August, those birds would have been hiding in the grass still. Those birds would not have been, uh, they went, I don't know if they would have been able to fly. Um, I mean, that's two months ago now. That bird doesn't look like it's real old. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've seen what Penray's birds look like. That bird looks like it's about two and a half months old. Sure. So I don't know that it was underreported. I just think that there was something that happened uh, with part of the first, with, uh, the early hatch, something happened. And so that there were some of them that absolutely had, were hatched on time. Cause all, all those birds that we shot the other day were young of the year birds, but you can even see huge variants in those birds. Some of them were full sized roosters, nice, pretty full grown pheasants and little itty bitty nubs for, for spurs. Mm-hmm. And then some of them, they look like they were hatched a month ago. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what the important thing is for people that still have a lot of hunting season left, there are a lot of pheasants in North Dakota right now. There's a lot of pheasants in North Dakota <laughs> a right lot now. Of pheasants. Um, there's a, a, a lot, a lot. And, 
I always kind of consider October kind of like tourist season. Um, tour in, in October, everybody wants to come up. Blue platers. Yeah. Well, we get blue platers. What's the other license plate? The NRs? uh, The NRs. Yeah. (laughs) The non-residents. Uh, (laughs) we get lots of, uh, uh, people that come up here because everybody wants to hunt an opening weekend. Well, here's the thing. Yes. The birds are stupid, but they're also really scattered and they can be in, Bushes, they can be in grass, they can be in draws, they can be in, in slough bottoms, they can be in a wheat field or a tree row. Uh, as the season goes on, and the reason that we had such a, uh, an incredible hunt on Tuesday is because we had the first snow of the year, and it was the first real cold snap where it got cold enough for, for stuff to start to freeze up. Mm-hmm. And those birds will get into that thick thermal cover, those cattail sloughs, those draws, and that thick, thick grass, and they'll hold. Which it makes for some, I mean, we had pheasants. I mean, you literally looked like you crapped a pheasant at one point. I mean, like it came right out between your legs. Uh, well, Bo had it pinned, right? Like, you know, usually when a dog's on point, you walk, you know, you don't want to walk right behind him. You don't want right. to bump him off. So, you know, you come from the side and you were on one side of him and I was on the other. And I walked in front like 10 feet roughly and walked past him. He was still standing there staring. So then I made a pass a little closer, about seven feet, kicking. Then I came about four feet, and then we I did a loop around about 12 feet. And you're like, he's standing there. He, he He's looking right down. So basically, if he would have put his head down into the grass. He could have fetched that bird. He could have fetched that bird. Mm-hmm. That's how tight it was. And it got up right. I mean, I almost, I felt bad because like. I almost had to kick the grass underneath his snout, and you don't want right. to do that. You right. don't want to, I mean, that's right. how tight yeah. that bird held. And there were other birds that were holding extremely, yeah. extremely tight. And the, there's three days that a lot of pheasant hunters will say you want to hunt. Opening day, the first day it snows, and the day that the crops come out around a field right. that you hunt. Right. You know, and so we we are still relatively early in the season yeah. and we got the snow and it was magic yeah and we kind of knew just by looking at the forecast that the snow wasn't going to last i mean it was basically going to be there on tuesday mm-hmm. and then gone yesterday uh and so when we saw it coming i i called you last week and we're like oh man it could be it could be something yeah and it was something um but then when it warmed up yesterday, it got pretty cold yesterday night. Hold um, on a second. I don't think we answered the question from the oh. guy. How do we find the cover? Where do where do they look? Remember the, oh, right off the top. Right. Let's let's circle back for a second. Let's circle back. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Uh, so how do you approach a piece of property for somebody that's never hunted pheasants, Hungarian partridge, sharp-tailed grouse in North Dakota? So the way that I would do it is I would kind of pick one, pick one. Uh, I mean, you can pick kind a of bird, pick a bird yep. because they don't necessarily all live in the same kind of cover. So with the pheasants, uh, where I guess kind of where we were going with that tangent is that, uh, uh, earlier, earlier in the year, they can be kind of scattered out. If you're hunting in October, you can almost check sharp tail grouse off the list because they're very hard, even though we're going to try it this afternoon because we got a really nice day and, uh, you know, why the hell not? Right. Uh, they're very hard to approach. They don't, they don't want to hold They're jumpy. So you can kind of, you know, you wouldn't want to waste a lot of dog power and a lot of time, uh, trying to shoot sharp tails this time of the year. Kind of, kind of 
take him as bycatch. By the way, the it, snow geese are fixing to step on our audio here. That's good. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, my. Oh, Tyler, I'm looking. You didn't tell me they were coming over my shoulder. Oh, the you know what? The sky is full. I we wish... could 100% shoot those off my deck. Um, They're a little tall, they're but a little tall. Can I lift bad. this window up? To it's locked, the... I think. Oh, it's locked. Dang it. Oh, yeah. gosh. Uh, anyways. Sorry. so um, Distracted. I'm easily distracted squirrel, out here. Uh, so you can kind of, I would, unless you have a lot of dog power, a lot of time, and are a little bit crazy. I would just pretty much uh, sharp tail seasons in September. Yeah. Uh, I would, that's what I would do. But just be aware that they sail right over the top of you from 100%. time to time. Yeah. And, yeah. and on Tuesday as well, uh, we had some of them that, that decided to hold in some thick cover because they were kind of snow roosting as well. And I ended up getting a double uh, on, on sharp tails, but it's not super common. Uh, now, as far as huns and sharp, uh, huns and pheasants go, they're going to be, Early in the year, they can be anywhere. As the year goes on, they're going to start moving closer and closer to thermal cover, thick cover inside of wheat fields, uh, sunflower fields. We found them in yesterday, canola fields, corn fields. Um, I personally don't really like hunting my dogs across a sunflower field or a cornfield because those stocks suck. Uh, I hate it. I've seen it a couple times where they're okay. We got we got another covey huns fluttering down here by the bushes now. Um, we got all kinds of stuff going on. Like right by that fence post, you'll see them kind of fluttering. Yeah. See it. Anyways, um, (laughs) we're very distracted. So distracted. Um, This is a good, we need to just end the podcast right now. And and just go hunting. Yeah. We we could be standing on the deck drinking coffee and shooting snow geese. Focus. We can do this. (laughs) Channel it. Bring it in. (laughs) Bring it in. Uh, But so I would be. How long have you lived here? Seven years. Five years. I don't know what year. It's longer than that. I've been out here five. I was out here five years ago, probably. Uh, I moved here August of 2017. August 1st, 2017. Dang it. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, this is Tyler's world, and I get to live in it for just Uh, a little bit. Just a couple days. Yeah. Uh, So with pheasants and huns, I would prefer to hunt wheat fields. That's my favorite thing to hunt. Find the draws that go through it, find the tree rows that go through it, find the cattail sloughs. All that kind of stuff. The huns are going to be not in the thick, thick stuff, but on the edge of it. Uh, to uh, they can also be out uh, 50, 60 yards out into the weed field, just kind of hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pheasants are going to start to be in the middle of the thickest, nastiest pieces of cover on any given property. Uh, the thing I like hunting in November for pheasants is my—it's my favorite month because when you do get a, do get a little bit of snow. Uh, you can kind of start taking some places out of the equation. You know you're, they're not going to be um, any place where you don't find footprints, right? Mm-hmm. So when you walk into a cattail slough, if you start getting into the cattails and you're not seeing a bunch of basically pheasant highways, move on to the next one. Because there might be a random bird in there, but it's not going to be worth your time, your effort, your sweat equity, your dog's um, calorie output yeah. to try to find that bird move on to the next one because they leave the signs like we saw on Tuesday. When we got into that draw on Tuesday, it looked like a a herd of thousands of, of pheasants. It was amazing to me that the, it had just snowed, but yet there wasn't a piece of snow that hadn't been touched by a pheasant. Right. I mean, it was just that simple. It was You couldn't take a step without stepping on a pheasant track. Right. I was walking on a on a 
it, well, it's, it was supposed to be a deer trail that goes down alongside the edge of that slough, but it was so covered in pheasant tracks that, I mean, well, the dogs were, they, they just, well, your dog walked down there and just basically went on point and stood there the whole time. <laughs> It's the calm before the Thanksgiving rush. Now is the time to get all of your Turkey Day essential shopping done at Walton's during their pre-Thanksgiving sale. From their 7 and 11 pound stuffers to the number 12 grinder and 600 pound scale, they are all deeply discounted. The number 22 grinder that John Tremblay and the Waltons team uses in all their videos, yep, it's $100 off. Must have accessories such as suction cup feet, waterproof thermometers, and hog ring pliers have been marked down too. Take an amazing $100 off Walton's 50-pound mixer and get the heavy shopping out of the way right now before turkey season. If you order now through November 16th, Walton's guarantees that your purchases will arrive before Thanksgiving. So check out the pre-Thanksgiving sale today at waltons.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx maps always help you to know where you stand. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. So she's been in the woods for the last month, and I thought, gosh, I wonder how she's going to react to being out here. And we were working this draw into the wind. And the second we got out, I released her, and she ran up about mm, 30 feet. And at that point, they were already starting to fly right. ahead of us in the draw. We could see them. We're like, oh, there's some, there's some. And it was a pretty steady wave of birds. And when we got into the cover, it was just sent 100% of the time. So it took her a long time. She was very just like, which I appreciate about her finally, was she was very um, cautious. cautious instead mm -hmm. of just, woo, let's go yeah, for a yeah, rip. Yeah. yeah. You know, let's but, see how many birds yeah, are in here. Exactly. I'm going to go find them all. So then when she finally pinned one, instead of, you know, because they were running, 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 running a lot of where she was because she was right. up on she the edge, up on of, the edge the of the CRP. Yep. yep. And so they were just like, woo, they got their track yeah. shoes on versus in the cattails. Um, and then when she finally pinned one and I flushed it and shot it and she retrieved it, she's like, all right, let's do this now. Then right, she game went face. game face back yeah. on. But in the meantime, all these birds down in the bottom of the draw in the cat doesn't fix up for holding so tight. I think I say that because the cover dictates a lot of times how the birds are going to react. A hundred percent. You know, so for this guy, I don't know what kind of dog he has. Right. Now, if, he, if he has a dog, I assume, but your day will change based on 
the weather that day, mm-hmm. or your I should say your plan of attack will likely change. It'll also change based on the time of the day. Exactly. So the part of the reason why we're sitting here drinking coffee and looking at my yard birds and listening to the snow geese fly over is because, and I know it's really hard. I get it because everybody gets excited. We get all geeked up about getting out there with our dogs and everything else. But for upland birds, it really doesn't do a lot of good to hunt before 10 a.m. It really doesn't because those birds are going to be out in the field feeding. There, I mean, we've seen it when we got up to uh, up in the northwest on on Tuesday. Those birds were just coming out of the out of the sunflower field, and out of the wheat field, back into the thick cover. It's 10 a.m. So in the morning, they get up, they stretch their wings, greet the morning with a nice, beautiful crow of a pheasant, and then they go out and they start picking grain. And good luck, good luck getting up on them. I yeah, mean, like they're and, out in the fields. Right. But I've seen Tyler, and I would actually. I'm not going to say I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. All, I will say, depending on the day, there's days where I don't think they leave the field. Like right. if it's a pit corn field, mm-hmm. they're out there in the stubble eating right. all day long. If it's right. tall enough cover, I think a lot of times they'll be out there all day long. Yeah. But if it's standing, especially, right. you got to, you might as well wait till. I just cross those off the list. Exactly. Yeah. Or wait until the golden hour right. when they come back into the grass because right. they're not going to roost in that standing crop. Right. Right. Um, Huns and pheasants are a little bit less this way than sharptails are. Sharptails will travel a long ways to go to food this time of the year. So, like, when we're going... Do you know how far they travel? It can be miles. Yeah. I mean, miles and miles. They're not afraid of a little of a little flight. But um, with all the birds, I don't like to... I, I like good dog work, uh, and I like my dogs to be able to pin them down. Um, the birds are just jumpier in the mornings. They they're just they know they're a little bit vulnerable. They know that there's hawks and everything else out there trying to eat them. But anyways, um, I like to start walking about ten o'clock in the morning. It could also be because I like sitting around drinking coffee and not waking up early. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but here's the thing: as somebody coming from out of town, I get like it. I am, I get it. You're all jacked up. You've got a I get finite it. amount of time to be but here. You, you don't want to waste fu- any hour of the daylight. But you also have a finite amount of dog power, right? So right. if you're coming with one dog, focus on the good parts of the day. But is what we're is what, is what I was saying though about where they're going to be at at certain times of the day and how they're going to react. Early in the morning, they're going to be a little bit more flighty. Um, they're going to be out exposed. You can push them into the thicker cover uh, with pheasants, especially. Um, with huns, they're going to be a lot more flighty. It's going to be tough. But if you can follow them through enough jumps, you'll definitely get on them. Uh, as the day goes on. After they get a belly full of food on a day where it's like, say, 35 degrees, they'll go back into those cattails or the thicker cover and they'll start roosting. They'll start just kind of chilling out. At that point, you can definitely get on them a a little bit better. But so if you're working a tree row, say, uh, and you know that you're in a spot that has a lot of pheasants in it, you have to kind of know what pheasants do. Pheasants run. So if you're going to walk a tree row, it better be either really, really thick or you better have a blocker. I was going to say, walk it with purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's when we go into a field, where there's always a game plan in mind. There's a likelihood that 95%, maybe 98% of the birds, if it's a tree row and there's got a lot of birds in it, it's like, where do we want them to go? Right. You know, and so you walk it in such a way that, A, you're walking into the wind, but also 
you want them to go to a place where you think you can pin them, where they'll stop running right. into that thick cover. Work them towards uh, an, an objective that you eventually want to walk afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's um, <clears throat> worth noting. Uh, there was a time yesterday where we were down in the thick stuff, and it was beautiful. There was yeah. almost no wind, which is actually not great. It was not great. Um, and the sun was shining. It was, it was only like 48 or something, maybe 50. It, it felt hot down it there, felt though. warmer than that, and the birds were most likely, um, well, one, we didn't have great scenting conditions. Right. We did not have the snow in that part of the state that we were hunting yesterday, and uh, it was different. So it was fun, actually, because I could see the wheels turning in your head, Yeah. and it doesn't typically happen with you. I mean, normally no. when we go somewhere, it's like... Uh, I pretty much got a dial. You got usually. a dial, but yesterday we had to think a little bit. They threw us for a little bit of a loop yesterday. So um, when we got up yesterday morning, we uh, actually let me back up just a little bit from there. So we talked to my friend Roger Schumann uh, the night before, and he'd found a feed of ducks. Um, when Roger starts getting excited about a feed of ducks, that means it's going to be over a thousand birds. He said it was definitely over a thousand birds. But he was kind of nervous going into it because in the morning where he found them at, they were in a wheat field. They had field hopped to a pea field that evening, and we were going to set up in the pea field. So uh, we got up early, and when we got up, it was 22 degrees, 23 degrees. It was cold. Um, we got up yesterday morning at like 5 o'clock. Uh, we had loaded up more gear than has ever been in any one half ton truck ever <laughs> in existence. Right. Um, I was, I needed my Aluma trailer. Let's just say that. Seriously. I, I, yeah. I, uh, I, I start getting a little bit of anxiety if everything's, uh, if everything, I mean, it was so packed in there. You looked like you were a co-pilot in a, in a cockpit of a plane. It was I, ridiculous. I was covered in my own, I had extra, you know, like, yeah, we had stuff to waterfall hunt. Yeah. We had stuff to upland hunt and then we went fishing and, and, <laughs> so we had and our fishing poles and, and tackle boxes and Jason, the camera guys got the equipment to film all this. Yes. Plus we got, uh, my three dogs, your one dog. And we took no, my you, little puppy. Four dogs. Yeah. yeah and I took my puppy. Total. Yeah. We had five dogs and four kennels in the back of the truck, <laughs> fishing poles, waders, muck boots, uh, extra shotguns because we're, yeah. we're both sub gauge guys, but we're going to shoot ducks with 12 gauge, uh, extra shells. Oh, it was, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyways. Um, so it was cold yesterday morning. The ducks didn't really cooperate. We had one really nice flight. Uh, they ended up getting some birds, but, uh, when we switched gears, I was really thinking that those birds were going to still be in that thick cover because it was so cold when we got out there. And all of a sudden we get out of the truck and we're hunting in a t-shirt. Then I was like, Hmm. Then we kind of got, uh, we, we should have known when we saw that first rooster go in and pitch and land in the cattails right. and we, and we walked up there and the dogs were in there. I don't remember if, um, if Rusty went on point or Rusty was on point was once. It? Yeah. So we were standing there and it said, let's just stand there. Yep. And we stood for a minute in just a random part of this half mile long stretch of a cattail draw yep. and we just stood there four of us and, and about the, a minute went by and all of a sudden the rooster said all right i'm out yep nobody right moved in front of Roger. Yep. nobody moved and the rooster finally we should have put that together right at that moment yeah i thought about that a lot last night when we got home um the problem is trying to get four dogs because we were running uh Rick's golden retriever banks 
I was running rusty and I had puppy with not that puppy's doing much. Jesse's just kind of out there looking cute, looking cute and and having just the time of her life. (laughs) Watching that little 18 week old setter puppy go through cattails is enough to put a smile on anybody's face because it's hilarious. Uh, And then you had Daisy. And so it's hard to make sure that we can, especially in that first part, because the dogs are jacked up, we're jacked up. We want to get out there and start pushing. And so it's hard to kind of get them reeled back in. We almost needed to burn the energy out of them a little bit. But when we got down into the big draw where we, oh, let me back up again. So when we're pushing that first part down, we get to the turn where we're going to turn and start heading to the south. And Rusty's been on point a bunch. Daisy's been on point a bunch. They're walking basically on point. When we got to the end of that, we should have stood there for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and just let the dogs work because there's no chance that those birds weren't in there. But we kind of got thrown for a little bit of a loop when we're on a piece of property that my uncle owns and all of a sudden there's two guys walking down the tree row in front of us. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of standing there and then the dogs are birdie and everything else. We got uh, Jason behind us with the camera. We got Roger and Rick and and you and me and four dogs, and we're all standing there. And I was like, um, they're not supposed to be here. That's weird. I better go over and, and see what's going on. So I went over and talked to the guys, and uh, it's one of my uncle's neighbors, and he was out there with his nephew or something like that. And they just basically had to walk. They were walking from the other side in, and they had to walk back to their trucks. That kind of throws a little bit of a wrench in the whole thing because now – uh, we're standing there. Birds are starting to go up the tree rows. Rusty's on point in the tree row. Mm-hmm. They're walking that tree row back, so we don't want to mess up their hunt. We also kind of wanted to save those tree rows for the way back. So now everything's just kind of confused. Um, but we should have stood there for 10 minutes. Just let those dogs keep on working when we got to the end of those cattails. So when we got down to the next part, to the big draw, that's all... St- going through my mind it's like why why didn't we just stop there there's got to be birds back there so i'm thinking about history uh Mm -hmm. and not thinking about what's going on and then the dogs are getting hot and it's calm and there's no wind and we're moving a couple birds but not anywhere what we should be doing the dogs are kind of getting frustrated. We're getting frustrated. Uh, we're falling in badger holes. Every, I mean, everything <laughs> The wheels else. came off. Yeah, the wheels came off the bus a little bit. Yeah. So uh, it took us a little while to kind of right the ship. And when we got back to the trucks, uh, you and I had uh, blood in our eyes and vengeance well, in our I want to say more so because I watched my dog work this bird so hard. So hard. And I could tell that she was birdie. I was like, I'm just going to keep going with her. And... She pins this rooster. Like, I mean, it's just textbook. She worked it for, I don't know, a couple hundred yards. A couple hundred yards for sure. finally just, boom, rock solid. Pins it. She's staring at the ground. What do we got? Huns flying right behind me. God dang it. Um, And I blow it. Like, I just, all of that pent-up energy, all that, I hurried the shot and I missed it. And now, once again, on national television, I'm going to get ripped (laughs) apart again for the most beautiful dog point and the most perfect flush right under my feet. And I hurried the shot and I missed the rooster. Yeah. And I'm just mad at myself. I was legit mad at myself. I'm like, why didn't I just slow down? Slow down. It was one of those misses that... 
I can't even make fun of you for because you feel bad for the guy <laughs> because I seen what your dog did and I've been there. Uh, I told you, I, I made sure that I stopped you and, and told you the story about Rusty's dad, Ace, uh, that did the same thing. Like he was trailing this rooster down a tree row um, and we get, he gets probably five or six points and he realizes that the bird's running dogs like nine years old at this point. And he makes like a 500 yard cast out to the end of the tree row and runs back to me and pins a bird between me and him. And then I promptly proceed to miss it three times in a row. The dog was so upset that he <laughs> ran a quarter of a mile back to the truck, crawled underneath the truck and refused to come out. I was literally on my hands and knees being like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. Come on, man. Like, I know. And, and he wouldn't even like I'm trying to go around the truck. And if I was like trying to face him, he would turn his back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was he was upset. Um, but and at that point, I was pretty upset, too. Uh, but I. I knew what you were going through because on the bird before that, Rusty had it pointed at the end of that slough. And that was kind of when I was like, all right, we know for sure there's a bird here. We're going to stand here mm-hmm. until this, until something happens. We're going to let these. And then a couple minutes in again, that rooster got up. And afterwards, uh, I think you shot at it twice. Roger shot at it twice, three times. And Rick shot at it once. And Roger finally killed it at about 65 yards yeah. with some golden BB hail Mary shot from the prairie storm. Uh, they <laughs> caught him in the back of the head with a pellet. Um, but when I walk over to the tree, I was like, guys, I didn't even pull up because I just assumed that bird mm-hmm. was dead. Mm-hmm. And you tell me, you're like, I just, made the two worst shots I've I've made all season. He, you're like, I, I didn't get the gun shouldered. The next time, I think I just shot it in the air. I hip shot or something. It's terrible. And just so, terrible. So you had that picture in your mind. Then you watch your dog work this bird for a couple hundred yards. The anticipation's building. I'm going to redeem myself. I'm going to redeem myself. My dog's going to pin this bird. And then... <laughs> <clears throat> it was terrible. And the worst part... You know, it's fine when you make those misses and you're just out. But, like, there's a dang camera behind me staring at this whole thing. And I'm, I look at him like, you got that, didn't you? He's like, oh, that was my best That was my best shot of the day, actually. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Ex- excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Dang so, it. I'm so glad that was rolling. <laughs> so glad. Yeah. It just changes. It Filming a TV show does change things a little bit because if you and I, like we went out then just the two of us afterwards and we're like, Mm -hmm. let's just go and redeem ourselves here. Let's just do what we do. Right. We went out, we put two dogs down and we had just a hell of a time. It was fun. It would, they were just working birds. They were, I mean, we just like, we, we hunted like buddies hunt where you're not drive, drawing up a plan for a group of people. We just, which is what we're going to do, which is why you and I are both so dang excited right now. We're going to do that today. The two of us. Right. But we just went out and we hunted and the dogs locked birds down and we were, boom. If we shot, the bird went down. Yep. And that was fun. And so, redemption. Redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, I think yesterday evening was the first time that you and I have ever just got to hunt together with just the two of us. Which, I like I was telling you when we were driving up there, I was like, I'm excited for this. Yeah. You know, there's, you anytime there's more than two guys in the field, it becomes a little bit of a production. Um, you got to make sure that you're kind of working cover in a way that you're working as a unit, but you also 
you know, you need to make sure you cover everything. You're so you're using bigger pieces of property, uh, bigger types of cover, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, yeah. with two guys on on slew bottoms like we were hunting yesterday, you kind of have a built-in blocker. So me and Bo take one side of the slew bottom. You and Daisy take the other side of the slew bottom, and then the dogs kind of meet at the end, and then they're pinning birds. And it provides some awesome shooting opportunities. And it didn't hurt that the field that we were in had a lot of birds. In it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we hunted maybe a fifth of that field and probably seen 60, 70, 80 pheasants. I don't even know. Um, a bunch of deer. One deer I could have, I was going to try to tackle and ride across the prairie. It was interesting because we see a, I would say, uh, I call it an eight point. Yeah. You four call by it a four, four by four. Um, which is another conversation that we got into. We figured somewhere on the Minnesota border, yeah, they everything to the east calls it eight point, ten point. Everything to the west calls it, it four by four, five by five, five by five. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so a four by four gets up and runs, and then moments later, another one gets up, and it goes like. Or did it just stand up, or did it run like no, t- ten it, yards? Yeah, it ran like ten yards right into the cattails, yeah, and it, it just ran stood ten there yards and, and it, it kind of looked, and it was like. I'm gonna s- just gonna lay back down. Yeah, here. he just kind of like slowly sank into the into the cat. It like, just yeah, it sank. Like, he's it like, like quicksand. Oh, there like, goes the buck. He's you gone. don't see me. You don't see me. You don't see me. I'm we gone. We all saw you. <laughs> We're like, you're right there, dude. That's the funny thing about how wild animals try to hide. Yeah, they. They will- he pulled the he pulled pulled the ostrich. He was just gonna bury his head in the cattails and yes. like, oh, you can't see the rest of me. Yeah, we could see the rest of you. We but, saw him. We saw him go uh, down and walked right up on him. But it's funny if you're deer hunting, how many times you walk past birds. Oh, or I walk past deer, yeah. and just the same exact thing happens with bird hunting. I tell people all the time, "Whoa, we went. You're going way too way fast. too fast. Way yeah. too fast. You're yeah. walking past seventy five percent of the birds, maybe more. Maybe more. Yeah." yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, so we we had this grand plan in our minds yesterday that we're going to film the life of Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be ducks in the morning, pheasants midday, walleyes in the evening because the bite up here is pretty dang good. It's pretty good. We accomplished what we set out to do. We just did it. Uh, it wasn't like a grand slam on everything. No. And, no. and sometimes... I find that when you go somewhere, there's all this energy and excitement to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that have these ideas, um, a lot of times, you know, when we come to film, uh, let's do this, 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 and this. And I was like, How let's about we just do back. two of those? Yeah, let's just, yeah. if you've got four great ideas, we'll just plan two of those. Because make- if you try to do everything, you usually do nothing well. Right, exactly. So, um, so just to back up a little bit, when you were talking about uh, the added, um, what trying to film a TV show adds. I was thinking about it when I was going to bed last night because uh, I've done, I think this is my third or fourth TV show that I've done with you guys. And, and you've done others and, too. And done some others. Yeah. Uh, the thing about it is, is that it makes the highs higher and the lows lower. Okay. Because it lives for longer. Yeah. It lives forever. Yeah. I mean, like that miss is going to be made. I'm going to be made fun of for who knows how many years. But screw those people that make fun of you because <laughs> everybody's done it, and yeah. your dog did a fantastic job, and you get a you get that memory. But, um, you know, the how sweet Tuesday was when mm-hmm. when everything was working and birds were coming out from underneath the dog's noses. And the shooting was good, and they're nice close shots, and you get the landscape of the golden you want to grass. Talk about that beautiful crosser on that first one. That, that came was from. well. 
you missed the first one you shot at off point. Sure. There it is. And then, Damn it, and then you could have just let that one slide. And, no, not a chance. <laughs> and then the next one, bow points, you get like a, oh, that's right. I go, yeah, I got that out of my system. Okay. Now we yeah, can hunt. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> on the way up there, you're like, this is going to be my first rooster of the year. That's right. And, it was my first and, pheasant. Yeah, of the year. And yeah. I'm, Oh, ugh, I, I, just, I don't want to be that first pheasant. It's going to be bad. Well, the first pheasant lived the next one. So here's one the thing. I'm, I'm used to shooting grouse, which is like, and I go boom, boom, you know, as fast as you can. I didn't have to do that with a pheasant. I shouldn't have done that. You with got a little pheasant. time. With I got these. a little bit. Yeah. Of, yeah, I got, I got them all jacked up. I've watched all these birds get up. Dogs on point. Like yeah. it's just too much. Like I get birdie too, apparently. A hundred percent. I do too. Um, but the cool thing about Tuesday is that that memory is going to live with us forever for as well, because mm. the place we were hunting, the way that everything looked with the, you know, the sun and the golden grass and the snow on the ground and the big colorful birds and everything else. I can always see that in my mind anyways. Like if I had any artistic ability, I could draw that, but uh, I don't. Uh, so I just get to relive it on camera. So we got that highs of highs. And then yesterday, uh, the ducks didn't really cooperate, but they cooperated just enough. The yep. pheasants didn't really cooperate, but they cooperated just enough. And since you and I were a little bloodthirsty at the end of the day yesterday, and we decided that we, we needed to go for one more walk because neither one of us wanted to end on the note that we ended mm -hmm. on after the first walk, uh, it got a little bit late uh, for us to get up to go fishing. So by the time that we got up there, we had the sun was down. Uh, it was after after sunset, and you caught one on the first cast, your first ever uh, shore fishing walleye in yeah. North Dakota. Like, this uh, is easy. I caught one on my third cast. Yeah. We both missed a couple fish, and then the bite was done. Yeah, and it was dark. Yeah, and it was real dark, and it was getting cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, to your point, though, I mean, if we would have wanted to focus on any one thing or just take one of the three things out, if we would have wanted to hunt pheasants mm -hmm. and go walleye fishing, we could have done both of those very well. Yeah. Uh, if we wanted to just hunt ducks and pheasants, we could have done both of those very well. Um, or if we did, you know, whichever way we wanted to do it, but trying to do all three, when you only have 10 hours of daylight, it's hard. It is. And, and especially when you have to feed Travis, because let's face it, a, a hungry Travis is a grumpy Travis. I get headaches. I have to eat <laughs> constantly and I have to drink a lot yeah, when I'm hunting. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I've no, I've learned this about myself. I need to stay ahead of it. Otherwise... I just get these terrible headaches. So how, I'm how was that caramel roll yesterday? It, it, it looked pretty good. It was better than it looked. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Focus here, Tyler. Focus. Okay. Um, what What are there some of the things that we talked about in the truck when we were driving that we thought could make for good conversation here? Oh boy. Was it okay? So we talked about different dogs and different breeds. And, yeah, we talked hunting. about that last night. And and we, you and I both kind of agree. And I've have this, um, you know, this opportunity over the last several years when producing this TV show to hunt with a lot of people and a lot of different dogs. And I think I've talked about this on, on my podcast a couple times in that 90% of upland bird hunters, you know, they know what they've seen when they grew up. They stick with it. If it's a lab, if it's a German shorter pointer, whatever it might be, that's kind of their dog. I mean, they typically, they have a hunting buddy or two, maybe three, and sometimes they're the same dog breeds, and then everybody goes into the field, and they don't necessarily know what they don't know. They don't know um, what else is out they there. They don't know what else is out yeah. there. Yeah, it, it's been, 
something that you and I have talked about, you know, just the fact that we do get to hunt with a lot of different dog breeds to see just kind of like how generally, I mean, everybody has their dogs. And if you ask, if you ask each person individually, they'll all tell you most of the time that their dog is just wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And to their credit, they probably are fantastic for what they do with it. Yep. Um, so here's how I want to answer the question just because I wanted to get this in there as well. I don't even uh, know if it was a question necessarily, right. but this is something that you and yeah. I have talked about. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those topics that, mm-hmm. that it, it definitely, I get it a lot. Uh, and I know you do as well. Um, but so going back to Tuesday and even a little bit before that, um, Scott Franzen, your, uh, co-host and boss and whatever else was up here as well. Uh, he hadn't ever really got a chance to hunt with the very many pointing dogs and it's him and his buddy, Steve. And, uh, we kind of, you know, I offered if it was all right with you seeing if they wanted to come with us. Cause they were going to be up there in the same country. Anyways, I got, I've gotten to know Scott a little bit over the last couple of years and I've never got to hunt with them. And I was like, ah, oh, it'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Totally. You know? And so he comes from the lab world mm-hmm. and he knows labs and that's what him and Steve have. And they've had them forever. And when, uh, when we got done at the end of the day, Scott said, uh, or uh, Steve said rather, he's like, Oh, after the first 20 minutes, he's like, I just realized that I was just going to walk wherever Bo was going. <laughs> he's like, because that dog is, is a machine. He's unreal. And it's not because, I mean, Bo is a good dog. I mean, and Tyler, I will, Bo is one of, I've hunted with a lot of different dogs. Yeah. And there's a reason why when he created a puppy, <laughs> I wanted right, in on right, that. He right. is an amazing dog. He's a in very good every dog. way. I've there's a few dogs that I've hunted with that when you go out, you know that dog is gonna get it done. Right. Does not make mistakes. Hunt with purpose. <laughs> right, right. Does what he like does it just like you would dream of. Right. You know, and that's what Bo does. But the wheel, like we seen it yesterday on the last walk, the wheels can start to get a little bit wobbly on that boat as well. I mean, like dogs aren't machines. They're I would like, say they're just like just like with us, right? I would say this, and most dog trainers would probably agree: ninety percent or more of hunting dogs are out of control in the field. Definitely, yeah. Bo is not ever out of control. No. He, he can be reined in. Yeah. Like, he can get a little bit squirrely on you every once in a while, uh, just like all dogs can, mm-hmm. just like you and I can. Yeah. When, when there's that many birds going on. Clearly, I miss. When there's that many birds yeah. going up and you know that they're running and all that anticipation, the dogs get excited just like we do. Yeah. Um, but I can just nick them on the collar and stop them or whoa them or beep them back to me. Reset. Or, or reset. Yeah. Like, we're just going to take a breath here, bud. We're, we're not going to do that. Um. He is an exceptional dog, but uh, I guess it was fun for me to be able to show those guys what a good one looks like because yeah. I know that there's not, there's a lot of people that don't have the freedom of time that I do to pour a dog into birds to get them to the point where Bo's at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get the question all the time. I'm sure you do too. I'm looking for my first bird dog. What should I get? Yes. And the thing that I always tell everybody is you need to be very honest with yourself about how much time you can spend with it, what kind of birds you're going to focus on, and what kind of cover you're going to hunt. Yep. Because there's not one one size fits all in this. Like, I can't tell you, oh, go get a a poodle pointer, Mm -hmm. and uh, it'll do everything. Sure. Um, But that's also not being necessarily truthful. It can 
do everything, but it's not going to necessarily be better at you know. So there, each breed does have its strengths. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so. there are some places, and I know you've talked about it on your podcast. I've talked about it here. If you're going to strictly hunt thick cattails in central Minnesota and not the open prairie, you know, uh, a big, wide-ranging uh, pointing dog. Not the right tool. It's not the right tool for that job. It can do the job, but I would say a lab is probably a better tool for that job. Right. I would, too. Um, if you're going to hunt out west yep. and you're going to be chasing prairie birds as well as some pheasants, now you need some ground coverage. You want that. You're, yeah. You're tight uh ranging flushing dog yeah. yes you're gonna get birds you can do it i'm sure. not ever gonna tell somebody that right. they can't with their dog obviously you want to come out and do this but a cocker is not the right tool for sharp tails correct i right. mean there was times yesterday where daisy would go out and she you know there was this little patch out in the middle of a wheat stubble field and it's like i don't want to walk out there right. but she's out there checking it out bo's out there checking right. it out cj's gonna go check it out yeah. that's why we want that dog so I'm going to say something on your podcast that I never thought I'd say. You're going to get controversial? No, but I'm going to uh, – it's not controversial at all. But uh, when we were sitting at dinner last night and we were talking about it, and um, everybody knows I'm a setter guy. I love my setters. Uh, Rusty's laying on my feet. CJ's over on the couch. I got a little setter puppy in the kennel. Uh, we were talking about it a lot yesterday where, you know, there's – Everybody, and it's kind of like what we were talking about with the hunting as well, where if you try to do too much, you don't really focus on one thing and get really good at it kind of a thing. That's how dogs are. But the one dog that that does have the ability to do everything, that can run the prairies, that can range 400 yards, that can track uh, pheasants and cattails, do a duck search, um track a wounded pheasant, all that kind of stuff, bus cattails. That one size fits all dog might be a short hair. Like mm-hmm. that would probably be the one dog that, and the reason that I never thought I'd say Look that. at him. He just saunters out right now. Oh, big stretch. He oh. knew we were talking about him. Come here, buddy. Oh, <laughs> come here. Yeah. He was a good dog. I never thought I'd say that uh, publicly ever because nobody's given the German short hair more shit in their life than I have. Yeah. Um, but after having Bo, I don't think there's ever going to be a point in my life where I won't have a short hair because they are incredible, incredible animals at so many different things. Um, they There's a reason when Pheasants Forever does their bird dogs for habitat campaign that the German short hair pointer, um, I believe it's the last two years in a row. I don't know how many years prior to that has won as the, as the favorite. Yeah. Um, they, uh, the, the work after the shots, pretty fantastic with them. Whereas most setters like Rusty's a very good down bird dog. Uh, CJ will give it a good solid effort. Um, she's, she will, she has a good hunt dead, Mm -hmm. but if it's a bird that's running or something like that, she doesn't have the focus to stay there and look for it forever. The short hairs will stay there for a long time, and they can track a little bit better than the setters can. Now the setters are probably a little bit better at sharp tails than than the but you know just as an overall package, the this, the short hair is probably as close to an all around dog as you can probably yeah. get. You want a dog that gets out and runs, but also can hammer in those right. cattails. I I've seen. I wish everybody could walk behind a dog like this, like Bo, and see it. Um, 
Well, they can on the TV show. We'll try to show it as best we can. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Hunting season is here, and North Dakota is one of my favorite places to spend a fall day. That's because North Dakota is a bird hunting paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day, and North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average. And their prairie pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. The habitat on the landscape looks great, and bird reports are strong throughout the state. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Plan a legendary bird hunt this fall in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Uh, but the thing that I've heard from some dog, uh, some bird hunters that have hunted with uh, pointing breeds is we get there, and the dog goes running out there wild and flushes all the birds out. And there's nothing left. And what the hell good is that dog? And I say, well, then that dog was out of control and wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. So that's on the handler then at that point because the dog doing what it's bred to do and and what it should be doing under control can handle birds in ways that will show you birds in places that you would not have found them. Right. But so those same guys probably... Uh, like on Tuesday morning when we're walking across that stubble field, before we even get to the thick cover, there was birds piling out ahead of us. Those guys probably attribute the dog running 100 yards in front of us to those birds flying 300 yards in front of us, right? Perhaps. You know, so the way that I I think about pheasant hunting, pheasant hunting is battle. Um, It's war. Uh, war. Anything is fair in in love, war, and pheasant hunting. Um, Those birds... Some of them are always going to sit. Some of them are always going to fly. It's what your dog does with the other 30% that figures out what kind of a bird dog it is. Um, there's always going to be those ones that take off wild. Always. Well, they, we had our dogs at heel, and they were already flying. Yeah. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Because have you ever the ears on the side of a pheasant are preposterously huge? They're, it, they it'd crack be like this. It'd be like uh, three quarters of your head. Right. You know. I mean, yeah. If you think about it that way. Yeah, they're huge, but uh, I really think that the difference is made between a, an okay dog and a great dog on what they do in that thirty that one third. The third that can be handled if they get the opportunity or if, if it's done properly, but will also, they're always kind of right on that edge. Uh, after you have poured your dog into as many birds as I have, they start getting that third figured out at a pretty high percentage. Um, those We don't need to worry about the ones that flush early. Mm-hmm. The ones that are going to hold forever, we're going to get those. It's that other third that we're going to worry about. Well, okay, so let's say you're listening to this right now and somebody says... I hunt with a buddy and his dog blows him up, runs up ahead, you know, like having nothing, nothing left by the time you get there. You don't have the 30% because the dog is out of control. He's not handling those. He's not handling those dogs. How should, and this, this is the, this is like telling somebody how to raise their kids, right? I mean, it's a weird conversation to have, but if somebody's dog is out of control in a field and it's ruining a hunt, that's where you're like, I don't want to hunt with that person because he's screaming at his dog the whole time right. or, you know, the dog's messing up the hunt and ultimately you end up not hunting with them or you have to say something or how do you help them? I mean, I think that's a tough, have you ever had to do it? I mean, definitely. I'm trying to think out loud here. Definitely. Um, those are things that need to be addressed before hunting season starts. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Like, if you're going to get a bird dog, you need to realize that this is going to be a commitment that you're going to have for the next, hopefully, 12, 13 years. The first two years, though, are when you need to put in 90% of the work. So if you need to be real honest with yourself when you're getting one, okay, I'm going to set this plan up. The first season's kind of whatever. Like, don't put a lot of pressure on the dog. Just have fun. That second year, though, like just like you did with Daisy, you put in a ton of time. Like you were spending time with her. You were going down to Georgia's. You're doing healing around the house. You're making sure she's not running out the door every time you open the door. All that kind of stuff, right? That stuff needs to be taken care of before you go out hunting. Then you need to also have the realistic expectations that if you haven't put in that kind of work and you're going with somebody and you know that they haven't put in that kind of work, that this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Like after they blow up a hundred birds, they might be tired and they'll start figuring it out. But if you, you know, everybody knows that friend, right? That, oh, this is the best dog you'll ever see. Best dog that's ever been born. Mm-hmm. This thing was handed down by God himself. And then you go out there and the dog sucks <laughs> and you don't know exactly how to broach the subject. The where, dog is walking on your heels through the cattail. Sure. Or, you know, or like, it's what? out there running on the skyline, blowing up the one field that you have permission to hunt. Yeah. Uh, we've seen all of it. Yep. Um, then now this is, this comes the real delicate part because now, uh, where I kind of just kind of like start making myself look smaller and smaller in the pictures and then start walking the other way, uh, (laughs) instead of having to sit a guy down and be like, all right, your dog's out of control. You're not handling it. Um, I've pulled my dog out of the field and I'll even say his name on the podcast. He's one of my really good friends and I love him to death. Uh, my buddy Paul from Michigan, Paul DeWitt, his dog Autumn, we were on this walk, actually in the same place up there, up nor- northwest that we hunted on Tuesday. 
And that was back when I was running my dogs with beeper collars all the time. And she would hear Rusty's beeper going off from across the field. And she would come across a line of 10 people, not back, get in front of Rusty and bust that bird. And I finally told him, I was like, Paul, I don't know how to tell you this, man, but you can hunt with me and my dogs, or I can give you a good idea on where to go, but I'm not putting my dogs down on the ground with her because she's making them, she's making them worse. Because after she did that four or five times, Rusty started hearing her coming and then he would move the bird. Mm. And now I'm nicking my dog because he's reacting to something else that's going on behind him. And like, I was like, dude, I, I love you to death. You're always welcome to come with me, but my dogs aren't going to be on the ground when your dog's on the ground until you get her under control. And, you know, he's like, oh, I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I really, I, I understand, you know, all that kind of stuff. It can be stressful it can when your be. dog is, it's, I've been there. I mean, but, my dog is, has caused a lot of stress. So sure. The other thing too, that we talked about last night that people don't give enough credit to is that it is okay to leave your dog in the truck. Uh, hunt one dog at a time if there's two guys, depending on what kind of cover you're hunting, because a lot of times having more dog power on the ground, first of all, you're going to lose that dog power on the back end of your hunt that you might, when you might actually need it. Mm -hmm. Those dogs are going to be tired. Second of all, like yesterday with Daisy and Bo, both those dogs have big motors and they're both competitive. And then they're add on top of that, a lot of birds, a lot of stimulation, uh, that's a recipe where the wheels can kind of come off the bus a little bit. Now you and I are just out there and we don't, you know, we've shot birds. Yes. We want to shoot birds, but that's a really nice training opportunity as well, mm -hmm. where you get, uh, you get to, you get your dog all jacked up and now it's like, okay, now we're going to start slowing down because you're just a little bit on the edge right now. And we're going to reel that back in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and you and I both know that you know, we're not going to be yelling at our dogs. We kind of let the caller do the talking because we don't, our dogs know what the commands mean. Yep. You know, we're not going to be blowing a whistle and, and all that kind of obnoxious stuff. There was no F-bombs. There was no F-bombs. <laughs> yeah. We're not calling our dogs anything. We're just, yeah. instead of, you know, instead of raising the volume of our, of our voice, if the dogs aren't listening, we raise the volume of the caller. Mm. You know, it's just that simple. Um, if you're not doing what you know you need to be doing, then we're going to fix it. Yeah. I, like there was a point yesterday where I've been running, still running the flank collar. It's, you know, her, her, uh, her brakes on Daisy. And um, it just, in her mind, it keeps her in this hunt mode. She's not running like uh, 100%. It's, you know, 60%. 60 to 75%, which is just the right speed. She's working methodically. But, um, you know, she's been hunting pretty well over the last few weeks. And I thought for the afternoon, I'm going to take the brakes off and see what happens. And you made a comment. You're like, I didn't know if that was really going to be that big of a deal. But you. She came unspooled pretty she fast. She came unspooled pretty fast. So then what I did is I brought her back. On the way back, she blew up one, two, three yep. birds on yep. the way back. Two to roosters and a hen, I think. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just totally, like, not what you wanted to see. Right. And I was like, that's how quick it can happen. Yeah. So then brought her back, and we we reset. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but I turned around away yep. from where we and were you, going. You walked back towards the truck a little I bit. I walked with her. Yep. I wanted her to follow me. We're going together. You're, yep. We're hunting together. You know, she wanted to go where the birds were. Right. Nope. Stop. We're hunting together. You're going to go, you're going to quarter back and forth. Right. I turned her, turned her, handled her, 
And then it was like, all right. Okay, dad. Okay. It's Ooh, like, you know. Yeah. yeah I didn't really yeah. say much of anything, right. but I've, I've not, I'm not saying that I'm great at this because sometimes my emotions can really get involved, but I just want to try to stay even keeled. Like you right. mentioned, uh, I don't want to change the, the tone. I might be more serious or firm maybe in what I'm saying, right. but I'm not yelling. Right. I don't want to raise my voice out there. I want the dog to know that I'm calm. Okay. Dad's calm. Yeah. I can be calm. Right. We're going to reset. And the rest of that hunt was just magic. Mm-hmm. That was the moment where she was out of control, probably caused Bo to get a little bit wild. And we ha- we brought it back in right. and enjoyed the rest of our day. I wonder, and you know, there's not really any way of telling now, but I wonder if she would have unspooled that fast without another dog in the field, though. If it, it, it like be, because like these dogs with the big motors, the bigger the motor, the more competitive they're going to be, and they want to beat that other dog to the bird. They want to be out in front. They want to run farther, faster, all that kind of stuff. I will say that the last month, it's just been her hunting, her and I. Uh, we've mainly been grouse, woodcock hunting in the woods, and she's the only dog out there. And she's been hunting at such a methodical pace with purpose, right. knowing where she wants to go, and then boom, right? She was not flushing any birds wild holding grouse and what i mean woodcock are typically tight holding birds so that's not saying much but oh, grouse, are grouse can be yeah. flighty you know and she's just pinning them and it was just awesome now we've got four dogs in the field and you notice how she wants to be yeah when i release her she doesn't it. start courting right away she, she goes runs. 40 yards 50 yards and then she starts hunting and i'm right. like girl start right here we're in the cattails there's a right. bird uh, you know there so, could be a bird 10 feet i told you this uh last night I got Bo when he was 14 months old. Everybody knows that old story. But uh, the next year... Um, a free dog. A free dog, yeah. <laughs> what, a, uh, what a gift. Yeah. He's, what a blessing. He's been a... He's, he's special. Um, that next fall, though, did a lot of work with him throughout the summer. I had him over at a trainer in Montana, my buddy Todd Laners. Um, this dog knew what he was supposed to do. He was over there for a couple months. I worked with him a bunch in August uh, running on Sharp Tails. Um, all of a sudden... The only the X factor for him was uh, opening day. We're going out walking. There's three guys, three dogs. And all of a sudden, just like Daisy did, the the unspooling happened. And it happened again the next day and the next day and the next day to the point where he I was starting to get upset he was confused and also upset where like there was almost like a resentment. Like he just understood that when he went out there, he's going to get into trouble. And I had to totally stop everything. And I had to go back like 10 steps and start all the way over again without a collar, like just with a check cord and start from that point and build his confidence back up. And after the first couple of weeks, I told all my friends that were up here from Michigan, I was like, the only time Bo's going to hit the ground is when it's me, one other person, and no dogs other than him because he just couldn't take it. He was young, very high horsepower, uh, kind of teetering that line where if I would have been too hard on him, he could have shut down on me because he's a soft dog. I mean, he's a he's a strong dog, but he's a baby as well. He's very sensitive. Like if I raise my voice, he'll he'll tuck his tail. 
like that kind of stuff. He's not one of those typical short hairs that you can hit upside the head with a two by four to get, try to train him. You know, he's not like that. Not like mine where she raises the middle finger, the tail a little bit higher. No, he's not like that at all. (laughs) And so I had to be really careful to not like I had to dial back the the level on the collars like on the on the Garmin collars I was down to using a one where it was just enough where he could barely feel anything because if it was any higher than that then he would just heal and he'd shut yeah. down and he'd be like I'm in trouble I don't know what to do I don't know how to make you happy and it was all because of that competitive drive where he has to be out front first and he has to be running the farthest and then all of a sudden a dog comes in behind him that also is out there at a hundred yards and he's not going to let it get in front of him. So he takes a step and the birds go. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden he's getting hammered on the collar, making him stand there, stopped flush. Um, but it's not necessarily his fault. It's just because it's that drive. Mm-hmm. He has to be there. So, first. and I think, I think, uh, you know, this to bring this whole thing back, you know, somebody that has four labs, might run all four dogs they might. at one time, and it's like a vacuum out there. Ooh, I mean, they're just they're just back and forth, right in front. They're within range pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. But more dog power in the pointing dog world doesn't necessarily mean a better hunt. No, I mean it really can not. be the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's more about the speed at which you hunt and you know the type of cover that you're hunting. I think somebody that doesn't hunt with pointers and they know they go with somebody that has two or three. And I say pointers, I mean just like all pointing breeds. Yeah. They say, why aren't you going to put them all down? You know, I most never, guys will just yeah. run or gals will just run one pointing breed dog at a time when they're hunting. And they're like, no, because it, it is a different experience. Sure. It's more enjoyable to me. Oh, yeah. Like, can you imagine having three daisies out there at one time? <laughs> yeah. Like, it'd be a nightmare. I'd find like, a different hobby. Your stress levels would be <laughs> right, through the roof. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, trying to control one of these uh, Ferraris is like trying to control a, a giraffe on ice skates. I mean, like, they're uh, walking that line <laughs> where at any moment everything can go out from underneath of them, especially when they're young. When they get to be a little bit older, you still need to hold them accountable for the stuff that they don't do right. So, like, yesterday when we're hunting, Bo didn't want to back Daisy because Bo's big male, I'm He-Man, whatever. And we had to have a little moment there in the field (laughs) where it's like, no, you're going to stop and stand there when that little dog's on point. And you did the same thing, and it kind of cracked me up because Daisy, when when you nicked her on the collar, she stopped so hard that her back feet came off the ground and then came back down, and you're just hitting her on like a three. Yep. You know, like it's not much stimulation. If I put that on your crotch, you wouldn't even feel it. I wouldn't feel it, yeah. Yeah. But, well, maybe there. (laughs) I was just going to say, maybe that would actually. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Any place else, probably not. Um, But... uh, you need to be able to hold them accountable. And when there's more than one dog that you're responsible for, you can't pay attention to them close right, enough right. to see all the stuff that they're making mistakes on. Yeah. So like I never run more than, well, I can't say never. Usually once a year, I'll run more than one dog at a time. Uh, it's usually in November where it's not necessarily really nice outside, but I kind of have a goal every day. I want to get each one of my dogs on a bird. Um, so if I'm, if I only have time and if the weather's crappy, I only have time to make two walks and I'll run either CJ and Rusty together or, um, Bo and Rusty together, never CJ and Bo together. Too competitive. They're too competitive. Yeah. 
but I will run the other two together and I can make those, those dogs accountable to me because rusty, rusty will back a fence post. I don't need to worry about that. He's nine years old. He'll do what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that other young dog. That's the X factor. But. I think if, you know, like if the two of us were just, we, we rode together to a spot, we got two dogs in the back, we get out, there's no cameraman there. There's, probably i'll kind of go this way you kind of go that that's way. the way but I, always here, I know we're stuck with okay we got to stay together because right. we're trying to you know, film a show film yeah. A show. yeah it doesn't do a lot of good if you're a mile over that way chasing mm-hmm. birds and i'm over here chasing birds because uh we can't even if we tried we couldn't split jason into two people right um, he's he's he man as well but that's right he's human that's right that's right um i really wanted to get into this is what we always do, buddy. <laughs> we always get so sidetracked. I wanted to get into your Alaska adventure, your oh, trip around sure. the world, yeah. but it, we've been talking for an hour and fifteen minutes already, and we got to go. We got to go. Kill we got to go hunt. Yeah. Um, dang it. Okay. So we'll, maybe we have another podcast. We where can we do, do that. A, a season recap because I've got a lot of places to go. You've got a lot of places yeah. to go upcoming, and to just like relive these these great moments and these terrible moments. Yeah. But. Um, just real quickly, you you did a trip. You know, we had you on before you did your journey across the world. Yeah. Um, coming back from that, what do you think is your most memorable and your worst experience from that journey? Because just just real briefly, tell us you left North Dakota. Yeah. All the way up to you drove to Alaska. You hunted yep. your way all the way back. Yeah, we put eleven thousand miles on the truck. Um, I left here July 25th and flew to Michigan. So my my trip actually started in Michigan and went all the way to Alaska. So we stopped here in North Dakota for a couple days, fished, got everything packed up in the trailer, and then we were on the road for the next month, uh, over a month actually. So um, just running through the timeline quick, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. So we left here August 5th. We got up to Alaska August 10th, drove the whole way through Canada. It's a five-day trip. Um, it's long, mm. long drive. Um, went hunting on the 11th or, uh, went fishing on the 11th for halibut and started hunting on the 13th with Eric and Evan, who you had on the podcast yeah. and I had on the podcast. I was, um, just blessed to be able to hunt with those boys too. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. Mm. Those guys are absolute machines. machines uh, is a good oh name. my gosh. Hardcore. Yeah. Um, the whole trip was awesome. Um, the part, like it wasn't even... I fell down on the first hunt and broke a rib and slid quite a ways down a down a, a little rock facing. Easy to um, do out there. Very easy to do. Yeah, the, the moss just slid off the top of the rock. That was hunt one of day one uh, up there, and that the worst was, way to start it. Yeah, and anybody who's had a broken rib before knows that it's it sucks. It's it's really really hard to be winded, and when you're walking up there, you're gonna be winded. Uh, it's also really hard to sleep. Uh, which makes it hard to not be tired. Um, but that wasn't the worst part. Uh, the worst part was just the weather and there's nothing you can do about that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just like with Scott and Steve coming up here, you can't, you can't change the weather on the, you, you plan the trip around the time that you have, and then you do the most with it that you can. So the next, the first day, first walk didn't, didn't get any birds didn't see any birds. Second day, broken rib now wet, very tired, got some birds. That was the end of my hunting up there. I was like, okay, I got it done. I'm happy. Uh, I'm going to go fishing for a few days. And then I went and picked up Hank up in, uh, Hank Shaw up in Fairbanks. And we did some hunting up there on the tundra, which was much gentler. 
Um, did some grayling fishing. All that was awesome. The best part for me was definitely the bush plane flight that yeah. uh, that my buddy Dominic got to uh, take me on. That was awesome. Bob Watts. Yep. yep. Uh, that was awesome. That was my, the highlight of the trip for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really fun. I learned a lot. Um, going into it, I am kind of embarrassed at how little I knew about it. Like I had a different picture in my mind than what it was. And a lot of it was just due to the fact that it rained every day. It was soaking wet. Uh, I didn't know how effective gaiters were over the bottom of your boots because I've never worn them. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a game changer yep. for, for those guys, whereas my feet were wet every time because we're crossing creeks and everything else. Um, you know, it was, I just learned a lot. It was, a, it was, I've never got to see Alaska before. I'm super glad I did. Yep. Um, Oregon for mountain quail was brutally hot, very dry. Um, we actually almost had a bad problem. We almost lost bow actually. Really? Um, I didn't even tell you this yet. Um, so when we're coming back, we get, we cross the border back into the United States in Washington, north of Seattle. Um, and not really thinking about it. So when we took off, I had the kennel covers on the, on the dog kennels because we we're going to Alaska and it was cold up there. I mean, it was 60 at the most and colder uh, sometimes. We get back into the US and it's warm. Um, not super, super warm, but the problem was, is that we were stuck in a traffic jam north of Seattle on the highway and Bo was in the kennel on the side that the sun was beating on. And we pulled over to check on the dogs and we were going to let him out to go to, go to the bathroom. Bo was almost overheated. Like he was panting really, really hard. Um, and it was just one of those, Hey, it was just one of those things that, I mean, it was 85 degrees outside, but the sun was shining directly on that side of the truck. Um, we had to get him out, got him cooled off, put some, rub some ice out of the cooler on him, all that kind of stuff. Took the uh, kennel covers off the kennels. Windows Scary. were fully open. Um, made sure that the sliding back window was open on the topper as well as the cab and we're pumping some AC back there because it got up to like 104, 105 degrees. Uh, on the trip. And after that, we were stopping like every hour. I was uh, obsessed about it. I was like, man, there's just no way that I'm going to lose a dog. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. if they have to ride in the truck and I ride in the back, then I'll yell at you if I get too hot. We'll do that. Whatever we have to do. Um, But Oregon was really, really tough. It was hot. It was dry. Seen one covey of mountain quails. And and when I say seen them, we seen them for about a minute. And then they were gone into the rainforest. Uh, picked up that puppy in Idaho, little Jesse, and then we hunted birds in Montana and got pretty hot and pretty dry there, but we ended up getting most of the things we wanted to get on there as well. Now back home on the prairie. But, oh, man, <laughs> Life home, is good here. Home sweet home. Like uh, I will tell you that next summer I am not going to be planning any kind of an adventure like this for a long while. Yeah. Not because I didn't have fun on it, but just because I got to miss – so much stuff here. Like I didn't get to go around and talk to my farmer friends and see what was planted where and run my dogs on sharp tails, which I really like to do. I didn't get to go camping and fishing and all that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. that Alaska trip kind of took over my life for the whole summer. Like when your hunting season starts July 25th and you hunt almost every day until the end of October, like we are right now, uh, it becomes a, quite a grind. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any burnout for you? Uh, it's, it's definitely... Not, I wouldn't say burnout, but you have to take a day off every Pace once yourself. in a while. Yeah. 
Um, you don't need to pound it from dawn up from sun up to sundown every day. Like I said, um, I can sleep in until whenever I want to go out at 11, hunt until three or four o'clock and then call it an early day. Um, I've taken a couple days and just went into mine hunt, went and played pool or whatever, just kind of something just to do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, because otherwise you, it, it's hard. I mean, like my legs are sore. I'm tired. You know, it's, it, it's a lot of work, but I love it. And this time of the year, that's kind of what we do. Question we for you it. on a personal note. Uh, I think you're comfortable sharing this cause sure. I think you've talked about it. You haven't drank any alcohol since Alaska. Yeah. I mean, and how are you feeling? How's your body feeling your energy levels yeah. in this throughout this hunting season? Uh, you know, and it wasn't, I've, I've probably had a, a few drinks here and there, maybe, sure. you know, three or four since then, but it wasn't that it was, it, I never set out to do it. Um, I just realized that if I was going to be doing that, I had a couple, I, I went out a couple times in Alaska, but on the way back, uh, I don't know if it was something that changed in my brain up there or not, but I was like, man, I just don't really want to anymore. Like, I don't have any desire to. I don't like when we go to the bar, I'll have a club soda or something like that. It's not, and I, it's not that I don't think I'm never going to have a drink again. It's not a goal even. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just realized that at 38 years old now, um, I can either go out and party at night or I can go hunting during the day. I can't do both anymore. And when you start weighing out those options in those two levels, it's not a comp- it's not a competition. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go hunting. Um, I don't like being hungover, uh, and that was the thing that kind of changed for me. Is that in the last five six months, I start getting a hangover from like three drinks, like bad headaches, tired, don't sleep well, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, all right, well, if it doesn't want to agree with me anymore, then I'm just not going to do it anymore. Sure. Do you um, feel better in the field when you're hunting? Do you feel like you have more energy? Definitely. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you have a cup of coffee and you had a good night's sleep, I've been in bed every night by like 10, 30, 11 o'clock all season long. Like my, you all grown up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And just and, living life. You huh? know, my friends from Michigan, they're like, are you okay? Did you, <laughs> like, did you whack your head when you fell down that mountain in Alaska? I was like, I don't think so, but, um, you know, like it's not that I'm never, ever going to drink again. It's just that right now I want to, I want to hunt more than I want to do that. You know, I want to know something. I think Daisy's on point here looking out the window. I think she is. Tails up. She hasn't moved. She's looking at the Huns. Yeah. Tyler, they're, we got to go hunting. Yeah, I think so. It's really nice outside. So let's wrap this sucker up. All right. Well, I appreciate you hosting us. I'm excited to put this TV show together. You're Uh, welcome. Cast and blast, surf and turf, whatever you want to call it. Life on the prairie, home on the prairie, Tyler's world. We're just living in it. All that good stuff. One last thing that I do want to mention before, uh, before we quit, uh, I was really hoping that you could have got the kitchen pass from your wife this weekend to stay yeah. for an extra three days without the camera. She gave me it. Did she? She gave me. She said, yeah. you can stay out there for sure. Yeah. But she did tell me all the things that my kids are going to be doing this weekend. And uh, I and I looked at those and I said, I don't want to miss that. Yeah. And now, you know, you got other things to do on Saturday as well now. But uh, um, it would have been really fun just to stay out here for another couple of days because we could have went done more of this uh, without i wouldn't mind coming out here like september 1st through (laughs) end of november that's what everybody else does anyways i know i know someday when i get uh when i finally grow up right right, (laughs) and i have the opportunity i want to reserve one of these cabins on the side of your property and i'm going to move out here and i'm hoping my wife will come with and enjoy this because the kids will love it too and i and i talked to some 
of your friends that are out here right now too and they're first time out here you Mm -hmm. know and i say what took you so long and are you coming back and like most definitely yeah you know unless until you experience what it's like to be walking out on the prairie during the migration watching ducks and geese fly overhead and your dog's going on point and you don't know what's coming up out of the grass and just the amount of birds i mean I'm pretty sure it, we could have got our limit of pheasants yesterday with a fishing net while I driving so. down the road. <clears throat> Definitely. I, I could have hung it out the side. And yeah, we probably would have done better than we did with shotguns. We were <laughs> Easy we, on we, the shot, we, buddy. We, no, no, no. On both of us because we were we were not doing super well. We were. Uh, we I did just fine. I didn't even shoot I mean, a pheasant until the last one. I can tell walk. the editor which one to put in. You That's know? right. Only the hits. That's right. We, we only play the hits, That's buddy. Only play the hits, buddy. <laughs> All right. We got to go hunt. We'll All be right. back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>